This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Follow me as I set the stage a little bit. It might not at first click why I use this uh, demonstration of this story, but hopefully it will. If not, then I just hope the Holy Spirit does something for you. But uh, uh, so anyway, so I'm thinking about this, and I started thinking about sports, right? And so if you guys are Detroit fans, there's not a whole heck of a lot to cheer for lately. But um, I'm not from here. I'm from Florida, and there's not a whole heck of a lot to cheer for there. But uh, originally, originally, I'm from Colorado. And I grew up in Colorado loving sports. So it's great because it's much like Michigan, the climate, the weather, all that stuff. Uh, We get a whole year round worth of weather and seasons. So you get to do like all the different sports, like my cousins ice fish. And I don't know if I call that a sport. That's just weird. But they ice fish and they do all that stuff. Uh, But like I grew up playing hockey, street hockey, soccer, wasn't good at that. T-ball, I don't know if that's a sport either. Baseball, uh, uh, bowling is a major sport in Colorado in the wintertime. There's only so many things to do in Colorado in the wintertime, and bowling is prime. Uh, But football as well. And so I was a kid in Colorado, 97, 98, when the Denver Broncos, led by John Elway, won back-to-back. I don't know why you're laughing. He's over here laughing. Why are you laughing at John Elway, man? And so he... uh, led us to back-to-back Super Bowls, 97, 98. And I love sports so much, my brother and I collected, like, all the memorabilia. So when we won 97, then again in 98, where's Crystal at? She's, coincidentally, I was banking on the fact that he'd be wearing a Green Bay shirt because we demolished Green Bay in one of those. I think it was 97, so you're welcome. And... um, so we, uh, uh, we collected all the stuff from those. So like, you know, when like immediately after the, like the game's over, like three seconds later, and everybody's crying, like, oh, man, I just, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we won. And then Sports Illustrated brings up the, the preview, and it's like, get the hat and the T-shirt to commemorate the Denver Broncos winning, like whatever. We got those. We got those for 97, 98. We had foam fingers. We had sweatshirts. We had newspaper articles. We had magazines. We had keychains. We had cups. We had everything you could think of we were going crazy for. We had upper deck. There weren't baseball cards because they're football players, but you call them baseball cards. And we had those, and we had, you know, we collected the ones that shined because those were cooler, and they maybe you thought as a kid they were worth more, but maybe I think, I don't know if they're worth less because they're, I don't know, they're cheesy. But... We had all that. And in the world of memorabilia and sports, there's something that makes all this stuff worth more money. Anybody know what it is? Say it if you, say it if you. Signature, we call it an autograph, right? Uh, Your autograph makes things so much more valuable in that world, right? So we still have a lot of that memorabilia that we started with when I was a kid. We, uh, we still, my mom has a big trunk of it in her attic somewhere, and all of it's still in there, all of it, everything. But none of it has a signature on it, because if it did, we wouldn't own it anymore. I would have been sold it to pay off student loans. But it makes it so much more valuable to have that signature on there because it's that person. Imagine if John Elway, if you guys don't know, that's the quarterback, um, 
John Elway, Terrell Davis, the superstar running back, Shannon Sharp. Uh, now you see him arguing with Skip Bayless all the time if you watch sports shows, but he was the tight end. Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey, these guys are like the starting offensive lineup for the Broncos at the time. If any of them had signed anything that I own, that's huge, right? But there's such a market for this now that people learn how to study autographs. If you guys ever watched, uh, what is it, Pawn Stars? Anybody? Another show of hands. It's okay. It's, it's kind of a guilty pleasure because it kind of feels like a, I'm going to stop. Okay. It feels like a weird show for me where I come from. Okay. But uh, when you watch it, somebody occasionally brings in some, a baseball or something that's signed and the guy will go, uh, just got to call one of my buddies up. He's going to check out your signature here. Then we'll go from there. Cool. And the guy's like, yeah, whatever. And so um, the buddy comes in and he like, you know, pulls out his little like ocular thing and he's like, that's fake, man. And the other guy's like, what? No way. I got, this out of, I got this out of John Travolta's storage. There's no way. I pulled it right out. It was like right in the same drawers as underwear. There's no way. And he's like, no, nah, man. John Travolta, actually, when he signs his tees, he does it the other way. The ink on this flows the other way. So it's not. People study the nuance of people's signature to authenticate whether their identity is really slapped onto something, right? So here's the, here's the big idea, and this is, what, this is how I related the two as we go into Jesus. And I don't know how John Travolta came into that, but, um, but, but going from one to the other, if your identity, as far as autograph goes, if your identity is really on that, solidified, we can authenticate it, it means that it's so much more powerful. It brings power to it, brings validity to it. It, just, it does something to it. Now, here's the flip side of that. If I don't care how cool the T-shirt, the, the sweater, the hat, any of that is, if you put a phony signature on it now, it's, it doesn't matter. It's not cool anymore because you got some, you know, some soccer dad forging a signature on it makes the whole thing worth nothing. So it could be worth everything or it could be worth nothing just by authenticating the identity print that's on it. You guys follow me so far? Okay. So going into what we're talking about today about Jesus, i got to kind of pause for a second because, like I said, this is, not, this is not normal where I'm from to go about it like this, and I'll get into that later. But what we're talking about today is how Jesus says the same thing about who he is. Jesus says the same thing about who he is. A lot of times, and before I, I read to you what Jesus says himself about this, a lot of times... We, just going through our faith, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, it's happened to me, but we tend to start, uh, we, we start with God, Jesus, you know, the Trinity, all that, as one, but to understand how they work in unison, we kind of maybe accidentally or maybe purposely start to give them their own attributes and traits, right? Like, God is the, the angry one all the time. And Jesus is the one that talks him out of it, right? And the Holy Spirit's just the one that waves the flags and dances and shoots off fireworks when somebody gets saved. Like, we have these different attributes and facets for how God functions, uh, but, but here's the thing. that Let me say this. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And it's taken me a while, and to be honest, I'm still kind of working through some of these thoughts to see how dangerous that could be. And so what we're talking about today is how Jesus doesn't want us to separate him and who he is from who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. They're, they're triune, which means they're three in one, which means that they are all in one accord. 
right? They're all together. So uh, I'm going to start off by saying that. And so we're going to jump right into what Jesus says. My, my, the, the thing I'm going to try to talk about today is this. Jesus is, this is risky for me, where I come from in the South. Yo. That was Texas. That was a different South. Jesus is the exact image of God. Say it again. Jesus is the exact image of who God is. If you guys have your Bibles or your cell phones, uh, I have to say that in youth group, pull out your Bible app. Uh, go to John 8, 13 through 19. I'm going to read it here because last week I held my Bible, but I didn't read out of it, and that felt weird. So I'm going to read it out of my Bible. It's going to be a, hey, that's easy to read. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Hard morning. I'm two and a half donuts deep, and it's humid, so I'm, I feel like I did something I shouldn't have done last night. I didn't, but it just feels, <laughs> okay. So, good God, what do I talk about? Okay, so, it says this. Uh, oddly enough, this is the verse that we talked about last week. So if you're here last week when Jesus says he's the light of the world and all the Pharisees got angry, this is the very next verse. So this is how the continuation of that went. It says this in John 8, 13, and I'm going to read through 19. It says this. It says, so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about your Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Look no further. I'm the dude. We talked about that last week. Then the Pharisees said this. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are saying that about you. Like you're testifying about yourself. In, in the Jewish society, uh, two witnesses had to have eyes on something in order to give a true testimony. If it was just one person, they didn't believe it. Two or more people had the say in it because the eyes have it, right? And so uh, it says this, but you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus says this, even if I do testify about myself, my testimony is true because I know, I love this man. He's such a battle rapper. He says, because I know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I don't judge no one. But if I do judge, my judgment is true because I, because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. So I testify about myself. Now that's one. And the Father who sent me testifies about me also. That's two. Then they asked him, all right, where's your dad, bruh? Doesn't say that. That's not the NIV. That's the surfboard version. He says, you know, check me out, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Before I, before I get into that, I'm going to read another uh, passage that's right in line with this. Uh, go ahead and throw up John 14, 6 through 11. Uh, it says this. He's talking to Thomas and Philip, right, a couple of his squad. G-unit. God unit, okay? It's different. <laughs> Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Right? This is right after Jesus says, if I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You can't come with me right now, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Ikea. I'm going to get your bed. If I buy you a bed in my house, you know I expect you to come through, so I'm not going to leave you. You just can't come right now. And then he says, how? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to get there? And Jesus told him this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will also know my Father. 
Check this out. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I just got chills. I'm Pentecostal, so you know it chills me. That means the Holy Spirit just came in through one of these, these vents somewhere. Mm-mm. Jesus looks right at him and goes, from now on, you're, look, you're looking at me. I didn't do a magic trick. I didn't run away, change my clothes, and put on a different gray beard. You know, I can't, I'm right here in front of you, but from now on, you not only know the Father, but you have seen the Father, right? But he doesn't stop there. Then Philip says this. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. How many of us do that sometimes? Oh, God, I just need help, God. Just give me a sign, God, and I'll just believe that you're really there. And God's going, Wait, for real? After everything I've done, you still want? Okay, all right. And Jesus says this to him. He says, just show us your Father. Just show us your dad, and we'll, like, that'll be enough. That's it. We don't got to talk no more. Jesus says this. Check this out. Jesus said, have I been among you all this time and still you don't know me, Philip? Jesus, just show us your dad, man. Just show, it, you're talking about you and the father, all that. We get it. It's cool. But we've seen you. Let us see your dad. And he goes like this. I've been, around, I've been hanging. We've been hanging out all this time. I cooked y'all fish. That was good fish. You don't know me? Translation, show us your dad, me. We just want to see him, that'll be enough. You're hanging out with him. He goes on to say this, he says, have I, have I been among you all this time and you still don't know me, Philip? The one who has sent me, or the one who has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If not that, at least believe in the works themselves. So here's, it's not a hard situation to understand, but it's a hard situation to keep track of in daily life. He says this to him. He he has two disciples questioning him. And then before in the passage, before that, when the Pharisees are questioning him, this is kind of a scary thing because his followers and the Pharisees are having the same issue of understanding how in unison him and the Father are. They spent all this time with him, and they're still kind of having a hard time really grasping who Jesus is, what authority, authority he comes on. And so after everything he said, after every mind bomb he's dropped on them, they still go back to this. All right, man, that's cool. We get what you're saying and all. But we were raised in a Jewish culture, and so we're raised to, to really be looking forward to, like, you know, like, this, this God thing, and, this, and you're kind of, like, new to, like, our understanding of all this. So in order to validate what you're saying... Just show us your father so that way we can, we can at least, you know, make sure that if we're writing this check, it's going to clear eventually because I don't, re- I don't really know. And Jesus goes like this. Listen, you want to see the father? Look at me. Okay, but sh- like actually show us, show us him. And he says, hey, we've been hanging out all this time. You still don't know what I look like? That's, that's hardcore. That's a Jedi mind trick right there. Show us your dad, bro. Okay. Ta-da. I'm sure they were all confused. I'm sure they were all looking at him like, okay, what is, what is this guy talking about? Jesus says this. 
in saying that, he's making this crazy statement. I am the exact way that God is. You're trying to differentiate me from God. You're trying to separate me from God. The Pharisees are trying to separate me from God. You don't have a testimony on your own, Jesus. Yeah, but my, my father testifies with me. Okay, show us your father. Okay, cool. You're looking at him. The father's work in me testifies to who I... So, so here's essentially what he's saying. I testify to God and God testifies to me. Uh, you're looking at me and my life and my characteristics and my attributes and everything about me shows you who God is. And then if you're looking at God and I'm not around, everything you can see in God, if you're looking at him the right way, will show you exactly who I am. There's no separation of the two. We're one and the same here. We have a mutual testimony going on. If you see him, you see me. You see me, you see him. In other parts of the Bible, it says he is the image of the invisible. Image of the invisible. So if you want to see God, what would it look like if God opened up the clouds and made that big, like, stairway come down and he walked down? It would probably be an escalator, honestly. Escalator? Escalade. Escalade. Hip-hop culture. I'm confused between a truck and stairs. So he, he rode down, and when he came down and got here, and you rubbed your eyes like this and looked, you'd see Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. So here's what, what's crazy for us, and here's why this is dangerous for me to really get into. It's been a challenging thing for me. I've been reading a lot of books. I've been really deconstructing, as Sam says a lot, deconstructing things that I was brought up in, in just church culture. Church culture. Say it again, church culture, not Christian culture, not Christian history, not scripture, church culture. It's so easy for us, it's so easy for us to make whatever picture we want of God and then stand on that and use it to hurt other people, even if it's unintentional. It's so easy for this. We see this all the time. I, I'm, I'm just going to take it there because it's just it's the most recent thing I've seen, right? I was watching a YouTube video. That's dangerous already, okay? YouTube's hardcore, so you got to pick your battles with that. And you got to pick what comments you post because you could fight for hours on YouTube, which I've done. So it's true. But I'm on there, and you can see this play out because there's people that, I'm just going to say it. I was going to try to make it, like, describe it so you got it, but I'm just going to say it flat out, okay? Some of these really, really, really hardcore Trump supporters get on there, and they, they like, they, I watched the video. They showed up to a rally, and they're out there walking around terrorizing people, like, legit walking around like this. Huh? Who don't like Trump? Who don't like him? You don't like him? You're a flaming liberal. Come here. And they like, no joke. That's 100% true. They grabbed somebody, an old lady, dog, grabbed their, her glasses off her face, threw them junks on the ground, stepped on them. Side note, I don't care how much Jesus your boy has. You do that to my granny, son, we're, we're it's going. Like, we're, I'm, we're going, it's going. In that moment, I would not be the image of the invisible God. Maybe of the Old Testament. Wrath, Right? But if you continue watching, he'll come through to the end of it, and, and you hear these people talking and dialoguing amongst themselves, and they say things like this, nah, man, not under our flag, not under our God, not under what we believe, not under, here's what you're saying. You're trying to tell people, you're really trying to get people to believe that the God that you serve agrees with the garbage that you're doing. And then when people try you on it, you'll go back here into an abstract verse. I'm not saying you, I'm just, you know, I'm on my thing. And so you'll go back to an abstract verse and be like, look, man, God crushes his enemies, fam. That's all I'm saying. So we're just out here carrying out the work of God. That's not the case. Because here's the big idea. 
Jesus shows you exactly who God is and what God is like. So for us, it's dangerous because we start doing this. We may not be out here smashing old ladies' glasses, but if we want to get away with something or we want to stop somebody from getting away with something or we want to control the way people live or we can take this and we can read something a certain way. And then we can kind of put our own little flair to it, and then we can use it to hurt people, to, to control people, to mold people, to guilt people, to shame people. Because we're reading it through how we want to see it, but here's the thing. And then we go, well, yeah, man, like God's like this, but, you know, Jesus. And we kind of talk about Jesus like he operates in his own little world. And so God is over here doing his own thing. Living godly is its own thing. And then we see Jesus once we get there. He died for us, but, and, and that's just him punching our ticket. But then we don't see him until we get there and we're chilling with God eating or drinking Kool-Aid. You know what I'm saying? Like we talk about Jesus like he's so removed after the crucifixion. I say this is dangerous because the churches I grew up in, the churches I've worked in, we talk about God so much. Like him and Jesus are two different things, two different people. We give God this list of attributes, and we, and we preach at people, and we say, oh, man, God hates when you do this. God hates this. You better turn from this. You better leave this. What does God think right now? You're grieving the heart of God right now. All these things. But here's essentially what it is. I've been reading this book, right, and it's called uh, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. That's different. If you didn't know, if you, didn't, uh, you don't remember literature class in high school, that's... Um, that's a copy of uh, a Puritan sermon by Jonathan Edwards. Yes. Um, thanks, Bob. Um, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the whole sermon, the guy relates people who don't believe in God to like a spider that's hanging on a web over this huge open flame. And at any moment, God could cut the thread and let you burn and perish. And so this book is kind of, the title alone is kind of a satire about that, but here's what he says. Um, it's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to read it for what it is. Sorry. I love you. If you voted for Trump, too. I'm kidding. Um, I'm not Okay. For believers, this approach should not be seen as controversial, seeing Jesus and God as one. Should not be controversial, but deeply Christian. Again, this is not a low view of Scripture. This is a high view of Christ. Jesus alone is Alpha and Omega, the full and true word of God. Jesus is Lord and the final arbiter of all things, even the Bible, because Jesus is what God has to say. Let me say it again, that part. Jesus is what God has to say. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that means this. God, what you think about, in that case, Trump supporters? How should we treat them? Jesus. God, what do you think about liberals, man? They're, they're wild, right? Like they just, they take everything out of cut. Jesus. God, what do you think about people who are, who are, let's take it there. What do you think about people who are engaged in premarital sex? Jesus. What do you think about people that are struggling with drug addiction? Jesus. What do you think about dads that aren't paying child support? Jesus. What do you think? Take whatever you want to slap God's name on him. Before you do, insert the name Jesus and ask yourself, is that how Jesus feels about people? Because if you think that he does and you're going to put your own feeling onto who Jesus is, why don't we look back at how Jesus responded last week to the lady caught in adultery? Everybody's ready to stone her and Jesus says, chill. 
How about the tax collector? Everybody wanted Zacchaeus gone. Zacchaeus had to climb up in a tree because my man was so short, but nobody let him through the crowd just to see Jesus. And Jesus, out of the entire crowd, doesn't pick the most righteous, doesn't pick the most holy, doesn't pick the best Christian. He finds the tax collector that lies and cheats and steals from people, and he says, you and me are going to chill today because you're the exact kind of person I want to be around because you need to experience who I am. But we don't act like this. But if we really live like Jesus and God are one and the same and Jesus is the exact image of God, maybe we would. Ask yourself, how does God feel about something? And then answer yourself and say, Jesus. It's like, have you guys ever, you guys know who Marshawn Lynch is? Another sports reference. Big running back, used to play for Seattle. Uh, now he plays for the Oakland Raiders. He's awesome. Awesome. There's videos of him on the internet where he, he hides chicken wings in his socks during practice. And then when he gets hungry, he stops and pulls them out and eats them. Throws the bone on the field, keeps playing. My kind of dude. There was a time a couple seasons ago where he was getting in trouble for running his mouth. And so he started this new way of fielding interviews. And people would come at him and they'd be like, yo, Marshawn, uh, how'd you feel about how you played today? He'd be like, yeah. Yo, Marshawn, how you feel about how Russell Westbrook threw that 60-yard uh, uh, interception? Yeah. Hey, Marshawn, chicken or beef? Yeah. Marshawn, what you listening to in your headphones, man? Yeah. Every single answer was yeah for everything. I picture it being kind of like that, except when you talk to Jesus about something or talk to God about something, it's Jesus. God, how should I treat people that I don't understand? Jesus. God, what are you like? Jesus. God, do you love everybody, like truly every? because we say it. Do you truly love everybody? Jesus. Here's the danger of this, guys. There's not a whole lot that, can be, that, that needs to be said on top of that. This rocked my world, though, because for so long I realized how I was twisting things and putting my own opinion into things. For the, check this out. I didn't even realize it. But for the sake of being right, for the sake of having a platform and stewarding that platform and being right. We question things. We doubt things. We struggle with things. But our pride, our upbringing, our church culture, all that keeps us in that line of thinking to where if we start to wonder, maybe Jesus isn't like what we were trained to believe he's like, we shut it down, we push it out of the way. What, what if God really was like Jesus and we haven't been living like Jesus? We've been training people to, to go after a list of do's and don'ts. We don't. You don't listen to secular music because we're holy and redeemed and set apart. That was perfect. We don't watch R-rated movies. We don't go anywhere where they serve alcohol. And if we do, we don't take a picture of it. Because we can do it, we just can't show it. <laughs> Anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus, we don't chill with them because it's got to be our God or nothing. People that take too much of our time, that are too needy, they're too clingy, they're too... We don't need none of that. I go to church. What do I need all that for? Guys. 
Christianity, faith, belief, not about, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, this is crazy. I would, I would be in a fight after church if I said this in Florida. This right here, this right here, I love this. I love this, every part of it. I believe this right here points to Jesus, points so much to Jesus. I believe this has so much wisdom for you and for me and for life. I believe this has gotten so many people to the foot of the cross where they can be redeemed, where they can be saved, where they can be forgiven, where they can be made whole. But listen to me, too many of us make this our standard of faith. Well, uh, you know, this is uh, the living, breathing word of God. So right here where it says I can't do that, I'm not doing it. because This is not that, guys. Look at me, this is not your checklist. This is not a box for you to check off so you feel better about your Christianity. This is not something for you to read into and go, well, as long as I do this and don't do this and do that and don't do that, then I'm good and I'm a Christian and I'm saved and everybody's good. That's not what this is. You know what this is? It's a big, fat road sign and every single page that you flip across says Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and what's that? Jesus. Another Jesus. More, well, that's a map, but Jesus. It's all Jesus. So if we are holding anything, this is my big statement, Jesus is the exact image of God, who God is. He's the chief over all things, over scripture, over the church, over your life, over my life, over the saved, over the unsaved, over everything. Jesus is the chief over all those things. That means that, check this out, there's Jesus and then there's a line and everything else falls underneath that. Everything else falls underneath that. So if you are putting other things over Jesus, if you're putting this over who Jesus is, if you're putting this over how I'm going to live like this and I'm going to not live like Jesus because I don't get that. Rearrange. Flip it. Flip it. Move some stuff around. And here's the thing. You are going to feel guilty. You are going to feel guilty for doing this. They try to make Jesus feel guilty for doing this. They didn't understand when Jesus did this. They killed Jesus for saying this. You think that people are really going to be okay with you and me doing this? No. You want to know why? Because if we actually didn't live out the black and white in this, but we live like Jesus is God, and so attaining godliness is really attaining Jesus, and, and Christianity is not a checklist, it's Jesus, so we strive to be like Jesus and not a checklist. If we really did that, everything, everything would look completely different. Churches would look completely different. Your life would look different. My life would look different. Our kids' lives would look different. Everything would look different. Everything. But then there goes politics, and then there goes money, and then there goes uh, uh, people writing books, and then there goes, all this stuff goes out the window when you actually put Jesus as number one, but that's called turning the world upside down, and Jesus promised that's exactly what he's going to do through his true church. Jesus promised that's what he's going to do through his true followers. So if you're not doing something that's countercultural, even if it's countercultural in the church, Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus. Less pastor whatever, less this, less that, less Trump, less debates, less arguments, less bias, less fear, less doubt, less control. Let, let it go. And Jesus. God, what about this? And Jesus. God, how do I treat people who are 
I'm going to say it. I'm going to flat out say it, man. How how do I treat people that are drug addicted? Jesus. How do I treat gays? Jesus. How do I treat Muslims? Jesus. How do I treat my neighbor? Jesus. How do I treat cops that are racist towards other people? Jesus. How do I treat anybody that's anything that I don't understand that people, even the church, tell me that I have to feel a certain way about? Jesus. That's the only answer. That's what this is. When God says, Jesus is who I am, he's saying, listen, you want to strive for me, strive for Jesus. You want to get it right, you're not going to, but the closest you can get to right is Jesus. Jesus. This ain't the most put together thing I've ever done because I'm still working through it, but what I do know is this. Jesus. Jesus. The apostles say this stuff. Man, listen, I, I strive to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I could get everything in my life wrong. I could get everything wrong. I could interpret the Old Testament wrong. I could interpret the New Testament wrong. I could, I could, I could tell so many people so many different things wrong, but if I'm going to get one thing right, i got to get this Jesus thing right. If the God that you have in here, look at me, the God you have in here, looks even a little bit different than who we see Jesus is, change it. Ask more questions. Don't be afraid. Jesus wants you to discover him, who he really is. That's how he starts turning the world on its head. That's how he starts making things new. What is God like? Jesus. How does God feel? Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.